lecture thirteen part one of the endowments of man by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture thirteen the regeneration of man part one who hath regenerated us unto a living hope one peter chapter one verse three there is no race of angels each one of them is a distinct and separate creation the substance of their nature is spiritual without the vesture of a body they are pure intelligences with free and unceasing activity that requires no repose they live by grace and minister to the will of god of a nobler creation than man their nature is more simple and pure their intelligence more luminous their fervor more ardent as their love is without division their response to the divine will more prompt and their action more vigorous and steadfast having entered after trial into their beatitude their spirits are as pure mirrors in receiving and reflecting the eternal truth and their being is most beautiful and radiant with the light and ardor of the vision of god they form a celestial hierarchy of many orders and degrees of excellence according to the dignity of each one's creation and the character and greatness of his gifts among those myriads of spirits each one has his position office dignity and glory and as all are filled with happiness to the brim of capacity there is neither rivalry nor jealousy but the happiness of all augments the content of each through their mutual love in god the higher have a divine ministry to the lower orders the greater lights illuminating the lesser lights and the greater powers giving strength to the lesser powers god operating all in all in numbers innumerable those blessed spirits hold to their order and are communicative of their gifts and praise the divine author of their blessedness without ceasing but as god never repeats himself in his works but makes up in diversity what is wanting in infinity and as the angels are not multiplied like men by generation each angel is not only a separate creation but a separate species as compared with the angelic creation the most wonderful thing in human nature is that corporate unity of all men in one species which results from the generation of all men from one as the whole tree and all its branches are virtually contained in the root the whole race of mankind was virtually contained in adam the very terms mankind and the human race which have their representatives in all languages express this unity of the human species to the angelic intelligences this plan of human creation must have appeared most wonderful especially when they beheld that to each individual body as it came into existence 
a separate spiritual soul was created in providing for the propagation of the human race from one the almighty contemplated the corporate unity of the human race for reasons most profound this corporate unity of mankind is the cause of many virtues which otherwise could not exist in that unity god laid the deep foundations of the family life with its beautiful subordination in the authority of parents and the obedience of children which trains them for obedience to god in the creation of the sexes the wisdom of god provided for a high moral union to perfect the corporal unity of mankind he took woman from man and then reunited them in the divine institution of marriage he gave to man the stronger mind and greater force to be the guide support and protection of the woman he gave to woman the stronger heart and finer sensibility tenderness and patience to be the consolation of man the man protects the woman the woman gives her piety to the man each sex again exercises its special influence in the forming of their offspring the man represents the authority the woman the love of god the one unfolds the child's heart with her affections the other rules its waywardness with fear each is the complement of the other and when their union is formed in god according to his divine institution that union is the completion of humanity in all its attributes and qualities the government of the household by the father when he governs by the law of god is an image of god's paternal government and the obedience of the family in the fear and love of god is an image of the service which is due to god from all humanity in the unity and brotherhood of mankind god has also provided for the social life and for the government of men and for the social and political virtues which spring from that universal brotherhood he who governs his brethren according to god's will and law is the servant of his brethren as well as the servant of god and they who obey him who governs for conscience sake obey god and yet are free in their obedience as being of one blood and therefore equal in the sight of god in the corporate unity of the human race provision was also made for that virtue of kindliness from man to his fellow-man which is founded in our natural kinship and for that thoughtfulness for each other which receives the beautiful name of humanity as being founded in the community of mankind although the bodies of men are multiplied and individualized through generation the soul united to each body is not propagated but is separately created to each body that is propagated hence our mother eve spoke literally as well as prophetically when at the birth of her first-born she said 
i have conceived a man through god for whilst the body of the child was born of adam the soul came to that body from the creative hand of god it is this consciousness of giving birth to an immortal soul that fills the mind of every devout mother with awe and wonder when she brings forth her firstborn into the world so intimately however are the body and soul united in the composition of one person so constant is the action and reaction of soul on body and body on soul that each imparts its condition to the other so that the body of sin propagated from the fallen atom imparts its culpability to the whole person of man unless therefore that culpability be eradicated by regeneration into a better humanity it remains in the same condition but in constituting the human race in one common humanity the almighty wisdom had yet higher objectives in view the incorporeal angels have no corporate union their union is in the light grace and glory of god and their communion with each other is in the charity of god but as men are created lower than angels as their spiritual being is united to a marvellous organization derived from the material substances of this world to which their souls impart life god created them in the unity of one blood as a natural foundation for that unity of mind and heart which is the work of his gifts had all men remained in grace and innocence their common humanity would have provided a natural basis for the unity of their minds in one truth through one faith and of the unity of their hearts in one hope and one love of god and of each other for god's sake as also for their unity in one common worship adoring god and giving him thanks together in short god designed that all men should be of one mind in his eternal word of truth and of one spirit in his holy spirit as they are of one body through propagation from one common father of their race such was the divine plan but alas how grievously has the unity of mankind been broken asunder how perversely has that unity been thrown into disorder through the weakness of human wills and through that perverted love of self that puts pride in the place of charity and revolt in the place of obedience this pride has not only separated man from god but man from man breaking up the concert of humanity after it had lost its harmony with god and throwing men into endless discords the propagation of the sinful adam is the propagation of humanity in self-division in the warring of man against his conscience and in divisions and contentions of brethren against brethren that never cease to distract and afflict the great family of man in his all-present knowledge 
God foresaw those evils of division and dissension, as well as the other calamities of the human race, and he permitted them, that from their bitterness man might learn the misery of departing from God, and might find out from his weakness the need he has of God. Nothing more strikingly proves what rents and wounds have been made in human nature by its fall than those wars and contests between men of the same flesh and blood, despite of all the provision made in the economy of our nature for the unity of its members. Sin has not only brought division into each individual man, but that inward division has burst out into open divisions among the whole human family, divisions of mind, divisions of heart, divisions of nations, divisions of sects, and divisions of interests. But God, who sees all things past, present, and to come, in one ever-present, because eternal view, ordained the unity of the human family from one stock and blood, that it might profit in the end. The order of communicating grace provided for the angels would not have suited man, but God adopted the whole order of his grace for the whole order of our nature, and took up this very principle of generation into the supernatural order, united it with the divine man, and made it the principle of regeneration. He who by the Holy Spirit was born of the Virgin Mary in the person of the Son of God, became a new principle of generation, in whom all men have redemption, and from whom all receive the grace of redemption, who are regenerated in him. Through the union of his pure and sinless nature with the eternal word, filled with grace and life, and using the sacrament of baptism as the visible and assured means of his divine operation, the children born of Adam are born anew to Christ, upon which he takes possession of them with his sacred and atoning blood, takes away their injustice, and gives them his justice. Through this divine principle of regeneration, Christ propagates himself. As the true head and regenerator of the human race, he excorporates us from the body of the old Adam and incorporates us into his own body, making us the children of his blood and spirit. Every Christian knows that he has received his evil from one man and his good from another. For there are but two men, there never were but two men, there never can be but two original men, the old Adam and the new Adam. The Apostle calls the first Adam a figure of him that is to come, for as the old Adam was the first head and father of mankind, Christ is the second head and father of mankind. Adam became to his children the original source of injustice and death. Christ is to his children the source of justice and life. Adam is the principal head of disobedience. 
Christ the principal head of obedience. St. Paul draws the contrast between these two heads of the human race in the following terms. The first Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam a quickening spirit. Yet that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. Afterwards, that which is spiritual. The first man was of the earth, earthly, the second man from heaven, heavenly. Such as is the earthly, such also are the earthly, and such as is the heavenly, such also are they that are heavenly. Therefore, as we have borne the image of the earthly, let us also bear the image of the heavenly. After showing that every man must bear either the earthly image of the earthly Adam or the heavenly image of the spiritual Adam, the Apostle contrasts the death of sin derived from Adam with the grace of life derived from Christ. If by the offense of one many have died, much more the grace of God and the gift in grace of one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. For if by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more they who receive abundance of grace and of the gift and of justice shall reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one unto all men to condemnation, so also by the justice of one unto all men to justification of life. For as by the disobedience of one man many were made sinners, so also by the obedience of one many shall be made just. After the contrast between the first and the second head and father of mankind, St. Paul brings in a chain of lucid comparisons to show how we are transferred from Adam to Christ, how we are excorporated from the first man and incorporated with the second. As it would have profited us but little to be born of Adam if we had not been redeemed by Christ, so even the redemption of Christ would not have profited us unless that redemption were conveyed into us through our regeneration into his body. This regeneration is our second birth, of which Christ said to Nicodemus, Amen, amen, I say to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb, and he be born again? Jesus answered, Amen, amen, I say to thee, except a man be born again of water and the Holy Ghost, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. The first argument of St. Paul in explanation of our transfer by regeneration from Adam to Christ is taken from the expressive signification of the act of baptism. Unless a man be born again of water and the Holy Ghost, 
he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven baptism is the burial of the man in the water and the raising him out of the water in which he was buried in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost this burial in the water expresses the death of the man to the sinful adam through the death of christ whilst his rising again out of the water expresses the new life that he receives from christ through the operation of the holy spirit the action of the holy spirit christ himself explains in his continued words to nicodemus wonder not that i have said to thee you must be born again the spirit breatheth where he will and thou hearest his voice but thou knowest not whence he cometh and whither he goeth so is every one that is born of the spirit again the apostle calls this regeneration a transplanting because as the tree that is transplanted from one soil to another dies to the first and lives in the second where it is buried anew so in his regeneration the man is transplanted from adam to christ these are saint paul's words how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein know ye not that all we who are buried in christ jesus are baptized in his death for we are buried together with him in baptism into death that as christ is risen from the dead by the glory of the father so we also may walk in newness of life for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin may be destroyed and that we may serve sin no longer for he that is dead is justified from sin for if we be dead in christ we believe that we shall live also together with christ knowing that christ rising again from the dead dieth now no more death shall no more have dominion over him for in that he died to sin he died once but in that he liveth he liveth unto god so do you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to god in christ jesus our lord again the apostle compares the transfer of the regenerated from the body of adam to the body of christ to a second marriage after the first has been dissolved by death speaking of the law of moses a law which revealed sin and provoked it though it did nothing for its remission he says the woman that hath a husband whilst her husband liveth is bound to the law but if her husband be dead she is loosed from the law of her husband therefore my brethren you also are become dead to the law by the body of christ that you may belong to another who is risen again from the dead that we may bring forth fruit to god in another place st paul compares the stock of adam to the wild and unfruitful olive tree and christ to the good and fertile olive 
and shows how in our regeneration we are taken as a branch from the one and are engrafted in the other speaking to the converted gentiles of the unconverted jews he says and they also if they abide not in unbelief shall be grafted in for god is able to graft them in again for if thou wert cut out of the wild olive tree which is natural to thee and contrary to nature wert grafted into the good olive tree how much more shall they that are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree to show again that from christ as the root and stem all the richness of his fruitful life flows into the engrafted branches the apostle says if the first fruit be holy so is the lump also and if the root be holy so are the branches and if some of the branches be broken and thou being a wild olive tree art engrafted in them and art made partaker of the root and of the fatness of the olive tree boast not against the branches but if thou boast thou bearest not the root but the root thee as saint paul compares christ with the olive tree christ compares himself with the vine i am the vine you are the branches he that abideth in me and i in him the same beareth much fruit for without me you can do nothing thus in the water of regeneration we enter into his death and rise again in his life as he is the fruitful olive we are engrafted on him as he is the vine we are embranched in him as the root and stem of our life inexhaustible in the diversity of his illustrations st paul again compares our transition from adam to christ to the casting away of an old garment that we may be clothed with one that is new for although christ has atoned for our sins and has purchased for us the grace of life although with him there is merciful forgiveness and with him plentiful redemption yet all this is with him and not with us until we come to him and accept freely with faith the sacrament of regeneration by which we are transferred from the sinful body of adam to the glorious body of christ that so we may belong to his kingdom hence st paul exhorts those whom he instructs if so be that you have heard him and have been taught in him as the truth is in jesus to put off according to the former conversation the old man who is corrupted according to the desires of error and put ye on the new man who according to god is created in justice and holiness of truth how is this transformation accomplished st paul tells us ye have been baptized ye have put on christ as he says more explicitly in another place when the goodness and kindness of god our saviour appeared not by the works of justice which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us 
by the labor of regeneration and renovation of the Holy Spirit, whom he hath poured upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that being justified by his grace, we may be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This again is another of St. Paul's illustrative arguments, to which he often refers, that by our new birth in Christ through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, through whom, as Christ was generated into our human nature, we are regenerated into Christ, we are made joint heirs with him of eternal life. For whosoever are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again in fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself gives testimony to our spirit that we are the sons of God, and if sons, heirs also, heirs indeed of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Yet so, if we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. We may sum up what has been thus far said in the words of St. Leo the Great. If the word had not been made flesh and dwelt among us, if the Creator had not descended into one common life with his creature, if he had not brought back the old humanity to a new beginning, death would have reigned from Adam even to the end, and an irrevocable condemnation would have rested upon all men. The very condition of their birth would have caused all men to perish, of all the sons of men, the Lord Jesus was alone born innocent, because he alone was conceived without defiling cupidity. He was made a man of our race, that we might be made the consorts of his divine nature. That origin which he took from the virgin's womb, he deposited in the font of baptism. What was given to the mother was given to the water that same power from on high, the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit that caused Mary to bring forth our Savior, causes the water to regenerate the believer. What could there have been provided more capable of healing the sick, of enlightening the blind, and of giving life to the dead, than the cure of the wounds of pride by the medicine of humility? It was by his neglecting the commands of God that Adam brought the condemnation upon us that is due to sin. And it was by his being made under the law that Jesus brought back to us the liberty of justice. It was by obeying the devil even to the extent of prevarication that Adam deserved that we should die in him and it was by obeying the Father even to the cross that Jesus obtained that we all should live in him. It was by ambitionating angelic honors that Adam lost the dignity of his nature, and it was by taking upon him our infirm condition that Jesus raised up those souls to the heavenly places for whose sake he descended into hell. 
it was said to adam because of his pride dust thou art and unto dust thou shalt return but it was said to jesus because of his humility sit thou at my right hand until i make thy enemies the footstool of thy feet as there are two heads of mankind there are also two bodies each cleaving to its own head into which the human race is divided the one is concorporated with adam the other with christ these are the two cities or kingdoms so often described in the holy scriptures as the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of god this is the one great division of the human race as god beholds the human family of these two cities or kingdoms saint augustine wrote the history from the creation to his time in the great and arduous work of the city of god as his chief object was to instruct the children of this world concerning the ways of god in the world he began that history as he tells us with a sense of dismay because he knew how hard it is to persuade the proud that the great force of virtue lies hidden in humility for the city of this world takes its rise from pride while the city of god is founded in humility christ as god in humiliation has founded the city of god satan the author of pride has founded the city of this world in the city of god the truth the law and the love of god prevail but in the city of the world it is error and injustice and contention that have the sway the one is called the city of jerusalem where the people of god live in unity and peace the other is called the city of babylon where it is the city of division and confusion christ rules the one through his servants satan rules the other through his bondsmen the aims of these two cities are as far asunder as heaven is from earth for the inhabitants of the one seek god and are but as travellers from this world to a better whilst the inhabitants of the other confine their views to this world and care not to look for the better world to come the one rests in faith upon the revelations of god as upon a rock of truth unchangeable the other floats upon the opinions of this world as upon banks of sand that are ever shifting and uncertain in this world the populations of these two cities are visibly mingled together although invisibly they are separated but in the world to come they shall be forever separated as the justice of god shall separate them but whilst they are in this world there is a frequent migration from one city to the other for there are those who pass from the earthly to the heavenly city but who are weak in faith and fall back again there are others who are visibly in the city of god but their hearts are with the city of the world and there are others who although visibly in the city of the world have their hearts with the city of god 
as each of these cities is formed of men who have a body and a soul a visible presence and an invisible spirit in the visible kingdom of god are those who are visibly united with her and openly profess her faith and obedience but the just alone belong to the soul of god's kingdom and shall alone inherit that kingdom after the great judicial division of mankind if we look into the interior spirit and life of these two kingdoms nothing can be more unlike nothing more opposite than they are to each other from a deep experience of both of them st augustine has drawn their contrast in a celebrated passage two loves he says have founded these two cities the love of self carried to contempt of god has made the earthly city the love of god carried to contempt of self has made the heavenly city the one therefore glorifies in herself the other in god the one seeks glory from men the other puts her glory in god who is the witness of their conscience the one lifts up her head in self-glorification the other says to god with a humble soul thou o god art my glory and the uplifter of my head the earthly city is moved by the lust of power and dominion and rejoices when her chiefs subdue the nations but in the heavenly city all serve each other in mutual charity those who preside consult in charity and those who are subject obey in charity whilst the earthly city puts her confidence in her own strength the heavenly city seeks her strength from god the wise men of the earthly city are wise in their own prudence and live according to man they seek the goods of the body or of the intellect or both together if they know god they do not glorify him as god nor give him thanks but they become vain in their thoughts and their hearts are darkened but in the heavenly city men know no greater wisdom than faith and piety and the worship of the true god after the manner which he prescribes and they expect their reward with all the saints and angels that god may be all in all these two cities with their empires date from the beginning of mankind no sooner had adam fallen than christ appears in the promise of redemption in the first two sons of adam the two kingdoms become visible in abel and his children the kingdom of faith arises in cain and his descendants appears the kingdom of this world abel worships god offering the sacrifice of the lamb expressive of redemption through the blood of christ cain offers the fruits of the earth abel offers the sacrifice of obedience cain chooses an oblation of his own devising in the person of cain the city of this world already persecutes the city of god in the person of abel and this persecution is destined to continue through all time 
until the two kingdoms are forever separated. It is not without a profound reason that this conflict between the children of Adam is recorded in the beginning of the Holy Scriptures, where the child of injustice inflicts, and the child of justice suffers with patience. Nor is it without profound reason that the Scriptures exhibit this conflict between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, going on with ever-increasing intensity, as prophetically summed up in the closing book of the Scriptures. End of Lecture 13, Part 1